I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Bless me not a gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on earth is our glory, to the past divine. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. reading comes from Ruth, the last chapter, chapter 4. Can you give a mic, Matt? Oh, that would be great. Yes. Yeah, all right. It's working? Yeah. Chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz then took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to redeem it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. And Boaz said, 
On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Limelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead man with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among the family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathath and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in, his, in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadad. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David. It's the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Matt. Um, it's funny, I thought I had the NIV, but I probably, I guess I didn't. I, I was certain that I did. It was very close, whatever it was. But I, um, I liked that it said, um, he went to her, in your version. And in our version, it was he made love with her. That is a totally just meet cute. In fact, one of my favorite shows to stream currently is The Mindy Project. And um, there is one whole season of the Mindy Project designed around Mindy's attempts to interpret every one of her encounters with a man as a meat cute. She imagines what he's thinking and what he must be thinking of her, right? <laughs> meat cutes are those, if you don't know what they are, meat cutes are those moments in a book or, or a movie or a play when two characters meet for the very first time and there's this, this like spark of chemistry between them. These moments can be completely ordinary, like somebody drops their pen and a guy leans over and, and, um, and picks up the pen and as he's handing it back to her and their both hands are on the pen, there's this moment, there's like spark as their eyes catch one another. It can be like, like yeah, your mail ended up in the wrong mailbox and somebody comes knocking on your door and as they're handing you the mail and both of your hands are on the piece of mail, there's this like instant spark. 
It can also be kind of wacky too, um, like you know, being at a skating rink and you run into one another and you both fall down and then within the laughing at both of your clumsiness, you kind of have those little, that little chemistry, that spark moment. Uh, or you're in a crowded elevator and you're pushed up against one another in the elevator and then some, some dude like tries to crowd into the elevator with his bike while there's 20 people in there and you and you and you have that moment where you look at each other because it's just so ridiculous and you're judging that guy so much but in that moment that your eyes are meeting over that there's this like spark between you uh, but let's meet cutes actually aren't magical at all they're not a big deal unless the couple ends up getting together right that I mean, after that happens it's not a big deal unless you their relationship forms out of it and they end up staying together. And then the circumstances of their meet cute, that moment, that spark moment becomes part of the charm of their relationship. It's their badge of honor. It's the story they tell at all their cocktail parties. And it's the one their, their maid of honor talks about when she says, I remember when she came home and told me about the spark the first time, right? I remember mine. I remember my first meet cute with Chris. You wanna know it? Always, always, always. No, he's not here today. Um, so, I remember my meet with Chris. Um, he might be watching online. <laughs> so we were at a uh, we were at a party. Uh, we met for the first time at a New Year's Eve party, and we're all sitting in a circle playing like cards together. And his best friend was massively macking on this other girl, and it was like the worst kind, worst kind of flirting you'd ever seen. It was so obvious. And she so obviously could not stand him at all. And so we had, the, I remember that moment where we both looked at each other, like the ridiculousness of, of his best friend going after my friend and both of us knowing that they were so not right for one another. And there was a spark, right? There's a spark at that moment. So we've been, we've been working our way through the book of Ruth over the last month, and today we're gonna wrap it up. And I, I know it's been this weird journey through Ruth because most of the time, I mean, Boaz is this huge part of the story and we've not talked about him at all. Up until this point, we really haven't talked about him mainly because we wanted to lay this groundwork before this, and this is the common, everyone knows this story of Ruth and Boaz. They're one of, the, there's, they're one of those normal quotable things like Samson and Delilah, Ruth and Boaz, if people have any idea of any words from the Old Testament. Perhaps you're, perhaps you're getting used to the way I view scripture or the way that I, um, I tend to preach, but if you're not yet, you probably have noticed that we have read very particular chapters each week. And perhaps the chapter we read doesn't seem to have too much to do with what the sermon is about. You notice that? So it seems like we read chapter one, but then I gave this, this idea of, of privilege and, and, and failure based on the entire book of Ruth and the history way before this book began. And then we read Ruth 2, and, and we, we read the, the story where she's gleaning in the field, and she meets Boaz for the first time, but then we talk more about the fact that Naomi is both Naomi and Mara, and that's a key place we're going to zone in on, not on this other thing right now, um, because it gives us a trajectory of the whole book of Ruth teaching us about dualisms and categorizing and how that's our place of privilege. And then we were in... Ruth 3 last week, we weren't at the gleaning place. We could have been there, but we talked about the gleaning in week 3 when we read about it in week 2. So it's this very strange, but what we've been trying to do is 
reading the specificity of a story, but taking from it some thematic over, overarching ideas. So finally today, today we're finally digging into the love story of Ruth and Boaz, and, and we watch in chapter two as they have this profound meet cute moment. They are an unlikely pair. One is older, like in his 50s. One is in her young 20s. One is an Israelite. One is a Moabite, their enemy. One is a man of power. He's a landowner. And not only is he a landowner, but the story tells you he has many fields all across. I mean, he is a massive landowner, a man with quite a bit of wealth and power and a powerless, widowed, foreign woman. And today I'm, I'm gonna leave you with the punchline up front. Here's what you are to glean from this story today, or what we're going to talk about. That, that the God of resurrection and of ascension and of Pentecost and the, God, the triune God, the God of miracles that we just did an entire series on before Ruth, most often shows up in the meet cute, in the, in the tiny glance, in the small sign of grace, in the passing moment of peace, in, in the little glimmer of hope. In these moments when it's like our eyes catch God's eyes and across the room roll our eyes together at the ridiculousness of the world's pain. And then we have that spark moment where both us and God know that this is not just it. That the story, this connection that we have between us, this chemistry we have, that, that slight moment tells us that this moment of peace or this moment of joy is a symptom of this entire story of love and joy and peace. So Ruth and, and Boaz, they collide in this meet-cute moment, but with an interesting twist. With a mother-in-law who is incredibly interested in this relationship. In fact, when you read the story, it's not Ruth or Boaz I hear recounting this story at a cocktail party. It's like Naomi is recounting this story, the mother-in-law who can't help but gush about this meet cute moment at every family function. You can just hear her saying to the other women of Bethlehem, you remember how bad things were for us? I mean, they were horrible. Remember how bad things were for us? Well, well Ruth went out to get us food and, and wouldn't you know it, she caught the, the eye of this, this man and not just any man, but a man who owned all this property. I mean, that was a, that was a good relationship, right? When she came home that day and she told me, I was like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew, I knew we wouldn't end up here. I knew this wouldn't last forever. I knew, I knew this is how it was gonna be. And that brings us to the other part of a meet cute. The other key component of this kind of plot device is that the audience always knows more than the characters know themselves. Picture, uh, what is it, you've got mail? You've got mail, Meg Ryan and, and, and Tom Hanks. We know so much more 
about how this story is unraveling than they do. We know so much more about them emailing each other and also being enemies at the same time in their little bookstores, but they don't know it. The reason why the Mindy Project, Mindy and the Mindy Project fails to ever find her deeply desired meet cute through that entire, that entire season is because she's constantly trying to force it to happen. Meet cutes aren't, aren't meant to be experienced as, as anything but serendipitous. They're, the spark doesn't happen when you try to force a spark to happen. They're not orchestrated. We, the audience, can, can readily recognize what's happening, but the charm is lost if either of the characters themselves become aware or start forcing this to happen on their own. While I look back um, lovingly at my, at my first meet cute experience of, with Chris and I, I had no idea at that moment when we locked eyes and hilarity over you know, this very uninterested romantic interest that what would come of that meet cute. So all along the, the way through this story, we the audience of Ruth know what's really going on with Ruth and Boaz. First of all, the narrator introduces Boaz at the very beginning of the story, even though it doesn't actually, he doesn't actually enter the story as a predominant person until much later. Then immediately after explaining who he is and why Boaz is important, Ruth expresses her hope um, to find favor from, from, this, from a field owner. And so, so we begin this process of looking out for the connection between this man Boaz we don't know much about and this finding favor that Ruth seems to be searching for. When the story continues with, as it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, and we get our providentially orchestrated meet cute that feels like, feels like a coincidence to those who, who are living in it. And there can be this temptation to think that Ruth's industrious nature and her courageous spirit and her, her wherewithal bravery to go into the field and to glean is the reason why Boaz notices her. But to do so cheapens the work of God in this story. Boaz notices her because he is a man of God and an agent of God's goodness in the world. It's through Boaz that, that God will intervene to provide for Ruth and Naomi, both in that moment of meeting and as we discover in Ruth 4 for the rest of their lives. Make no mistake, this is God's action. God is like orchestrating this bizarre meet cute. God in the famine, God in the journey, God in the depression of Naomi, God in the harvesting field. God on the threshing floor, God in this little baby born in chapter 4 to the wrong kind of woman, and God in the middle-aged adoptive parent that takes the baby as her own, God in the genealogical line that we often leave off at the end of this story. Did you catch the scripture today? Oh. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of King David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of 
Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab to Nashon, Nashon to Salmon, Salmon to, the, to Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And if you're not quite sure yet why this is significant, I invite you to thumb through the pages of scripture with me all the way to the Gospel of Matthew. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and then you see all of the ones that we just read. David was the father of Solomon, King David whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and then 14 lines later, after the exile to Babylon, 14 lines later, Mathon the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. God will act through their family line to bring God's self into the world. As Jesus' genealogy includes the offspring of Ruth and Boaz. To credit this solely to the decisions and activity of Ruth and Boaz is to lose sight of the key theological lesson of this story that God acts primarily through people. In fact, this is God's preferred way of acting in the world. Hence, the laws about gleaning that looks out for the poor and the widow and the foreigner, hence the tradition of the kinsman, kinsman redeemer from the beginning, hence the calling for the people to be God, um, um, the calling for the people of God to bless the nations. Ruth is the story of God saving lives and providing future protection through the choices of individuals. It is one of the most ordinary pieces of scripture we have. It comes after book after book of miracle after miracle. You have Moses and the parting of the sea. You have all the way back to Abraham and a woman of 90 years being able to birth a child. And then you have Ruth, a woman working in a field who meets a man and takes care of her. There is so little in this story that is miracle in any way, but this meet-cute is the way God works. So let's go back real quick to the meet-cute moment. Neither Ruth nor Naomi truly know how blessed they are to have had happened upon their kinsmen redeemer's land. Ruth 2 even ends with Naomi and Ruth in basically the same physical state as the chapter began, in Bethlehem without any food. The story at this point notes that the season is over now, and we're left with the question of where will Ruth get food now? They need more than a savior. They need a change in their all of their circumstances. We know that if Ruth were a man, we, we would have no reason to doubt her ability to provide, but for Ruth and Naomi to survive, they really do need to be brought under someone's favor. They need to find themselves under the shadow of someone's wings. And the rest of the story is just that. After Ruth declares her hope and her prayer to find herself in God's favor, to know success, 
to know finally in her life plenty, to know companionship, to know what it means to live a pleasant life, Boaz blesses her and prays for her and prays that she may have an experience of the refuge of God's wings in her life, that she may know that she made the right decision in devoting herself to Yahweh from the beginning by devoting herself to Naomi. That she may know God's goodness and refuge through the unlikely relationship of Boaz. That she may know the ongoing sustaining mercy of God through a genealogical line that leads her and us all the way to the mercy seat itself. The letter of the law was to allow her to glean merely from what was left over. But Boaz gives her instructions that Ruth be given exceeding abundance exceeding protection, exceeding access. He gives her free access to workers' water supply, feeds her lunch, makes sure she's well-nourished. The goodness and blessing and favor of God overflow upon her, and Ruth recognizes that her status as a foreigner does not guarantee her any of this, and yet there she is, tasting and seeing that, that the Lord is good because of Boaz's loving kindness. This word loving kindness in the Hebrew is used throughout all of the Old Testament. And if, Jewish, if a Jewish person were to read it, they would immediately think, how could you be using that to describe a person? This, this is a word only used to describe God. This is the main descriptor, for, main descriptor throughout the Old Testament for God, the loving kindness of God. And though we cannot call Boaz Christ-like because he comes long before Jesus. He is the precursor. He is our Old Testament precursor to Christ, the entire who becomes for us the entire world's kinsman redeemer. Who reveals to us in the person of Jesus Christ the love story of God through ordinary things like sitting down and eating with someone no one else would invite to the table by not condemning a woman broken by divorce, by seeing and touching those who are diseased, by visiting the prisoner, by welcoming the foreigner. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer for Ruth, and he is the precursor to the kinsman redeemer for all of us. The entire world's kinsman redeemer who meets you with a knowing glance from a friend who meets you with a, a kind word from a neighbor, right? Who meets you in the troubled eyes of a coworker that you catch and you know there's more behind those eyes. And you could choose to turn away or you could offer that neat, cute moment as a spark between you and God to transform the way you engage others in the world. The God of miracles, we learned. This is also the God of meet-cutes. Meet-cutes of God's love story are the miracles themselves. And I wonder, I wonder for you, I wonder for you where you are sensing that spark in your life. Has it been so long since you've had the spark? Has it been so long since you reached toward a person gathered yourself together in a place of prayer, 
put your hands to something good where you get that feeling. You know that feeling when you know you did something holy, that you were involved in something so much deeper than yourself? It's like that spark that you get when your eyes meet. And it's that little glimpse into this love story that's so much bigger than you and I. I invite you, they're serendipitous. Don't try to force them to happen. They don't happen that way. But if you follow the way that God leads us in to follow this kinsman redeemer, working salvation everywhere we go so that healing and wholeness is all that the world sees through us, the church, then you'll begin to see those sparks. And you have to come back here to do that. As the band comes forward, let's pray. God, we offer our prayers before you today as people longing to, to sense that spark. Some people, some traditions may call it being set on fire for God. Some, some call it um, sensing God in their lives. Some, some call it the presence of God in their midst. Today, as people wrapping ourselves up into your love story for us, we call it that, that meet cute, that spark between us and God where it's like we know God's up to something. We know you're up to something and that we're beginning to see a glimpse of our role in it. Pray for those who have not sensed that in a very long time, who don't know what it even means, who are looking for for signs of the holy, signs of, of the spirit in their lives, but because they're trying to force it or they think somehow their faithfulness is wrapped up in their ability to get that spark, it just doesn't seem like it's coming and they don't understand why everybody gets it and they don't. We pray for those people who, who have had so many spark moments in their faith life, their, their, their faith is so deeply filled with signs of God and they can speak so freely all that God's done in their lives that they don't know how to be real to people who don't even know where to begin. Forgive the church for not creating a space for that, God. We ask that you would reach out to us, grab the pen, look us in the eye and, and, and teach us to sense your love and your spirit with us, whatever that might mean. I pray for those like Naomi who have been ridden by depression. We pray for people like Ruth and Naomi who are journey, journeying to new places and are, are bogged down by, by, by lacking don't have enough to, to put on their table, don't have enough to get from here to there. We pray for women who are marginalized and abused and women in this country and beyond who are harassed, taken advantage of, raped, and worse. God, allow this story to help us see our neighbor better. to help us see how we can be our neighbor's kinsman redeemer.
And as our ultimate kinsman, redeemer in Jesus, taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Table.